Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, lady. It's Dr. Dom here. If you like this show and you want to make your own, let me tell you about the free platform, Anchor. It's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. You can add songs from Spotify and create any type of content that you are looking for. Anchor will distribute it all for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, lady. If you're looking for an extra dose of that behind-the-scenes content Terry and I put out after every episode, go to herspacepodcast.com, click Wisdom Wednesdays with Terry, And you will be taken to our Patreon page where for a limited time, you will have free access to our content. We hope you check it out and become a subscriber. But I do think that having this conversation and that a shying away from, oh, they black, they're like me. Let me choose them. Let me vote for them. I think if we don't get any other message across from this episode, I think it's a call for black people to. Be mindful that everyone that looks like us is not for us and to question people and their actions and to analyze and be aware of someone's history, right? Like, do you have a history of doing things to the detriment of black people or have you done well for our community and you made a mistake or you did something where we're like, hmm, that's questionable. Let me get curious and understand what made you do this? What was this for? What were your intentions? And then we can decide. But I think that we do need to shy away from this idea that all Black people are in folk. Welcome to Her Space, a podcast dedicated to uplifting women like you. We're your hosts, Dr. Dominique Broussard, a college professor and psychologist, and Terry Lomax, a techie and motivational speaker. In a world where Black women are often misrepresented and misunderstood, please join us as we initiate authentic conversations on everything from fibroids to fake friends and create a safe space where Black women can just be. Hey, lady, it's Dr. Dom here from the HerSpace podcast. Do you have a burning question you're dying to get feedback on? Do you want an unbiased perspective on a situation you're facing? If so, visit herspacepodcast.com and click Ask Dr. Dom under the Start Here option. Every Tuesday, I'll choose a few questions and answer them at random. Our quote of the day, souls that inhabit white bodies can be allies and accomplices in the fight against oppression. In the same way that Black folks can be agents and accomplices in promoting, promulgating, and protecting white supremacy. As my grandmother once said, conjuring Zora Neale Hurston, all your skin folk ain't your kinfolk. 
meaning that you can inhabit a black body and be an agent of white supremacy. That quote comes to us from Professor Lawrence Ware of Oklahoma State University. That's a mouthful. Yes, it was a (laughs) mouthful, but I think that we needed a little bit more context to that quote that we've all heard multiple times, all skin folk ain't kin folk. And at least for me, I feel like that quote kind of gives us a lot more context to what this really means. So T, are you ready to dive into this topic? I'm ready to dive in, Don. We've been talking about this on a few other episodes, saying how we were going to create an episode about this topic. And that is a mic drop quote. It is a mouthful, but it's so powerful. And I think it really depicts exactly what our conversation will include today. And so I think before we dive into the conversation, right, the meat of our chat for the day, I think defining key terms is going to be really important for us because there's a lot of terms that are being thrown around in the world today and getting clarity and context and a little bit of history for them, I think is going to be super important for us. So let's just start off with the, I want to say buzzword today, which is white supremacy, right? And so white supremacy is the belief that white people are superior to those of all other races, especially the black race, and therefore should dominate society. And the thing about white supremacy is that you don't have to be a white person to believe and uphold white supremacy. And we also don't even have to believe it. I mean, I don't believe that white people are supreme over me. However, when you think about the way our world is set up, they are ruling shit, right? They are running shit. And I think it goes back to what Dr. Candace Nicole said last week, where it's like, it stems from an inferiority complex that they have, but unfortunately, they are the folks in leadership. And that's why we are in a lot of the, I want to say turmoil as a community that we're in because of the systems that are in place as far as the other ways in which we are subjugated and underrepresented in in all spheres of life, shall I say? Yes, I agree. I think that we do need to be clear on what white supremacy is and also making it known that You don't have to be white to be complicit in it because all of us have been socialized in it. And we'll talk a lot more about that a little bit later. (laughs) (laughs) But the next term that I want us to think about is coon. Now, I know when I hear coon, I know like immediately what comes up for me is understanding that from a quick linguistic standpoint, it's short for raccoon, right? Mm -hmm. But I also want us to be mindful of the historical narrative that Kuhn is one of the most anti-Black caricatures out there. Like the term, no matter who is using it, is meant to be an insult, meant to dehumanize us, right? Because again, coon is short for raccoon. So you're comparing Black people to an animal. And when we think about the association of the term of what a raccoon is, right? Most people, when they hear a raccoon, most people don't like raccoons. Most people don't think raccoons are cute or an animal that you want to be close to. 
right? You think of a raccoon and you run from that. You think of a raccoon, you don't want a raccoon in your yard. That's how white folks associate black folks when you use the term coon. We also know that using coon in the black community is when we are referring to someone who is not for us, right? And so the term coon was also associated with someone who acts childish, but but if they are an adult, they are also someone who truly does not embody what it means to be an adult, right? Does not necessarily embody any sort of humanity. Coon also can be referred to as someone who was lazy. Historically, someone who was in like a servant role or what would be considered a lowly position. Coon was also similar to the term Sambo. And so the word Sambo or how it's been depicted is also someone who is a perpetual child, someone who does not have the capabilities of living like an adult. And so we would often see those two terms used interchangeably in their depiction, right? Sambo was also used in film as someone who was an older, docile Black person who went along with the Jim Crow laws and etiquette. So another way to look at it is your coon was a Sambo gone bad. That's deep. It makes me think about those images, Don, that many of us see when you look at the advertisements from back in the day, where you have the typically dark-skinned Black person with the big red lips eating watermelon and just kind of like walking around like this silly, sort of goofy, unintelligent right. person. Right. And I think about how that message was constantly portrayed in media, newspapers to communicate the status of a Black person or yes. the attributes of a Black person. And I think that's just so interesting. And it's interesting, too, to think about how the distinction between the coon and the sambo is that the coon was not happy with their status. They were just this lazy, chronically idle person, whereas the sambo was more of a servant, right? Right. More the of the and jive. Exactly. And I think, you know, like an, a common or more current depiction of a coon would be Uncle Ruckus from the cartoon Boondocks. If we think about how Uncle Ruckus was depicted in that cartoon. Would he be a Sambo or a Coon Dom if we're thinking about that distinction? Because I think, and I know we're going to dive into this later. I think a lot of times these days, when you look at the actual definition here, we use it maybe a little differently Mm -hmm. than we would. And I think sometimes we, we may mean Sambo instead of Coon. Would you say Uncle Ruckus is which one, Sambo or Coon? I would say he's a coon because we didn't know him to necessarily have a job. We didn't know him to necessarily be doing anything. And he was happy with his status. Like he was content doing what yes. he's doing. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the more we talk about it and think about it, yeah. I also wonder if we would consider him kind of like our next term. Yeah. And Uncle Tom. And Uncle Tom. Yep. So let's look at that it- definition. And I think you're right, Dom, because when you think about the Uncle Tom, right, it's the caricature of 
a black man that is faithful, happily submissive servant. And I remember reading Harriet Beecher Stowe's anti-slavery novel when I was younger, Uncle Tom's Cabin, which I think many of us think about when we reference or when we hear Uncle Tom. And so the Tom is presented as a smiling, wide-eyed, dark-skinned server. So whether it's a field worker, cook, butler, waiter, and unlike the coon, the Tom is portrayed as a dependable worker eager to serve. So I think that's the difference between the Sambo and coon is like, there's so many nuances and these are just all the ways in which they try to define and portray Black people, which of course, as we know, this is not us, right? This is not who we are. But again, all skin folk and kin folk. So some people do end up associating with these different roles, whether they know it or not, and showing up in the world in that way when it comes to how they interact with white people and black people. And so, yeah, it's interesting. So the Tom is often old, physically weak, psychologically dependent on whites for approval. Yeah, that does kind of sound like Uncle Ruckus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And before we dive into the attributes of this caricature, we just want to point out that we're going to talk about some of those characteristics. However, the key here to remember is that when you think about white society's standard of beauty, right? Pale skin, small lips, right? Certain Eurocentric features. You think about slim bodies. It appears as though. This caricature was the total opposite of. All right, lady, it's about that time. Dom and I want to share a few sponsors with you that we believe you'd enjoy. So stay tuned, get those promo codes, and we'll hop right back into this informative conversation. Lady, as you know, this month is Women's History Month, and it's a great opportunity to highlight the stories of Black women specifically. Black representation holds significant importance in conveying possibilities to everyone, not just those of us in the Black community. I can recall growing up watching Oprah Winfrey and the Black newscasters in my hometown of New Orleans, and it showed me the importance of sharing my own stories and using my own voice. Well, The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's latest collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Tracy Ellis Ross to Beyonce's Renaissance, Michelle Obama to the women behind the Montgomery bus boycott, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. What I love most about Black Stories, Black Truths is the fact that the stories are from us and they cover topics we want to hear. I recently listened to an episode called Tracy Ellis Ross is an Icon and Our Favorite Rich Auntie. And it was just such a breath of fresh air to hear her perspective on her new projects, what she loves most about podcasts, and how she feels about being called the rich Black Auntie. It was good. 
Now, you know, Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be told about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What white beauty standards were, and we believe that was for a purpose. So let's go ahead and dive in. And we just want to state these are not our particular views of black women, obviously, right? And for the record, all black is beautiful, okay? All right, Don, let's go ahead and dive in. What is it? The mammy. And I have a little bit of conflict with that word, but yeah. I, I, like my conflict Hi. with that word makes sense with a definition, like how it's okay. defined, how it's depicted, right? Yeah. So when we think of mammy, the term, from my understanding, and for any historians out there, you know, if we are not getting it right or missing some factual information, please feel free to correct us. So my understanding of it is that. During slavery, throughout the Jim Crow era that followed slavery, the mammy image was one that served as like a political, social, economic mainstay for white America. So during slavery, the concept of a main mammy was used to show that black women were content and happy being slaves, right? And when you see the depiction of her, first of all, the depiction of her is usually someone who has a wide grin, who has a hearty laugh, is often overweight and a loyal servant, right? Even though we know that white men were constantly raping black women, right? And we can dive into that. Like that's a whole other thing to dive into, right? But I think about it from the perspective of if this is how you view black women, then this black woman is one who is meant to be of service for white people, right? So the other piece of that, that again, started in slavery and came through during the Jim Crow era and even through parts of the civil rights movement, right? That this mammy character was one who had great love for her white family, but treated her own family with disdain because she had more loyalty to the white family, right? That She may have had children of her own, and yet she was not supposed to be connected to them. 
right? And so part of what it meant was that she, the piece that often goes unspoken of is that she was supposed to belong to that white family. Again, belonging to be the nursemaid for the white children, the personal assistant to the white mom, and the sexual object for the white man. Again, even though those were the pieces that would go unstated. And the reality of that is that that is not an accurate depiction. You know what, though, Dom? It's interesting because when you think about when Black people take on these roles in media, they're typically praised for it, right? So you think about all the slavery. I mean, we didn't had enough goddamn slavery movies, but they just keep on producing them. And it's like, okay, that's not the epitome of Black history and Black people. There's more to us, right? But when you think about Patty McDaniel playing the Mammy or playing Mammy in Gone with the Wind, and how she became the first African-American to win an Oscar for that role. Because right. what? It makes white people comfortable, right? They were in, yeah. she was in that role. And like you said, they owned her. I think that's also interesting. And one thing you said that I thought was really thought provoking too, was around this idea of diminishing the sexuality and the sexiness and the attractiveness of the black woman. And the thing about it is, I feel like that's also some sort of propaganda. And this is to make the black person less appealing because we know that oftentimes black people are fetishized, right? Like that's just a thing without any propaganda. That's just, it it is what it is. And so I think maybe to try to further discourage white people from wanting to be with a black person sexually, they try to promote these unattractive images. So that's deep. And we're just going to dive right into our last definition before we talk about how we have been socialized, lady, because as you're listening, These may be new terms for you. Maybe it's something that you're familiar with, but Dom and I were talking before our conversation and we were like, you know what? We've been socialized too to buy into some of this. The other terms that we're going to talk about really quickly before we dive into how we've been socialized, because lady, as you listen, you may realize that some of us have been programmed and socialized to believe some of the stuff about black people. And I do want to say that these are not terms that we personally will be using to identify us in particular. However, There are themes here that some Black folks in this world today are sort of gravitating to, whether they know it or not. And so we think it's important to have that conversation about that, right? So the next two terms are agents and white supremacist collaborators. And when you think about an agent, this is an informant or liaison that helps to infiltrate Black movements and progress in order to uphold and support white supremacy. I think about the Black Panther Party. I think about Malcolm X. I think about Martin Luther King Jr., you know, I was watching a documentary, Dom, and have seen that there were black agents that kind of went into the mix and they, you know, worked with the FBI and infiltrated those movements. Right. And then you have white supremacist collaborators, and those are basically the same as agents. However, they may not be infiltrating a specific group, but they support and uphold white supremacy. So those are some of the key terms that we think it's important to talk about before we dive deeper into this conversation about how all my skin folk ain't folk. So Dom, woo chow, it's a lot, right? It's a lot. So how would you say you've been socialized over the years? Because I know I've been. Woo chow. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So I'm going to be clear in stating ahead of time that I know that I will probably ruffle some feathers of folks in New Orleans and in the whole state of Louisiana with what I'm about to say next. Okay. I just want to be clear on that. What I will say in terms of socialization growing up as a child in New Orleans is the socialization around separating Black folks runs deep, right? So Creole identity in New Orleans, in Louisiana, when I step back and think about it, to me, it was a way to create division and separation within the Black community, right? Because we know that people who identify as Creole are descendants of French, Native American or indigenous to the Americas people, Spanish people, right? In addition to people of the continent that were brought to Louisiana, right? And when I say the continent, I mean Africa, right? What ends up happening is that you have a group of people who, from a physical outward appearance, would pass a brown paper bag test and are the term that I would commonly hear in Louisiana is passe blanc, meaning that they could pass for white. And historically, that was looked at as a sign of prestige. And you were considered more beautiful, right? And when I step back and think about what that really means, what that means is when I look at it from a white indoctrination lens, it means that you are more closely aligned with whiteness. And so for me growing up, that's how we were socialized to think that if you could pass that brown paper bag test, then you were better than. And if you could say that you had Creole heritage, then you were better than. I can like even distinctly recall moments in having conversation in high school or in college with friends. And we were discussing like guys that we were interested in or guys that we had crushes on. Right. And one thing that was noted, one thing that one of my friends pointed out to me was that, oh, you have a Creole complex. And I don't remember if that's what she called it, but that's essentially what it was, was that like the dudes that I was attracted to were lighter than a paper bag. Right. And as a grown ass woman now, I can step back and think about that and think about like, fuck, like what kind of socialization is that that I was under? Like that my natural gaze in terms of romantic, physical, sexual attraction was towards men who, black men, because I was clear that I wanted a black man, right? But within that, they still were like closely aligned with whiteness. (sighs) And there's other layers, you know, in terms of my socialization. But I think right now, like that's the thing that like I think about that like doesn't often get talked about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Dom, I think it's the truth. And I think that that's the truth for many of us. I can definitely relate to that too. 
I will say there tends to sometimes be, I remember feeling shameful about having this conversation just, and just stating how, even though I'm so pro-Black now, like I love myself and I love my people, I was definitely socialized. And there was a point where I was, to some extent, many of us are co-conspirators, like we're participating in white supremacy, right? Because this is the system that we're in and some people just do. And so I do want to say that like, if you felt some of the same ways that we're talking about, lady, don't feel shameful. and we have been programmed like this is like propaganda is for real. Like these systems that are in place to impact our psyche. When you think about advertisements and how long and just the depiction of beauty, I mean, it runs deep. So anyway, Dom, I say all that to say, I definitely had a similar experience. I remember being in third grade. It had to be third grade. There was a little boy I used to like so much. His name was Eddie. And I was always my literal, my literal statement about who I wanted to be with was like, I want him to be light-skinned, curly hair, and pretty eyes. Oh God, I just cringe saying that. Like that is literally, that was beauty to me. And then even myself, I always like looked at the light-skinned black girls with, I want to say like a wavy texture hair. You know how we have, we won't believe in good hair, bad hair. Okay. Cause that, that's just a fallacy right there. I won't believe in good hair, bad hair. If good it hair, grows out your head, it's good. There we go. If you got hair on your head, it's good. And if you rocking a body, that's good too. Okay. But I do remember the girls with the wavier hair. It was easier to manage than mine and like with lighter skin, especially they had light eyes. It was just like, oh my God, that's the the depiction of beauty. And that's also closer to whiteness, right? And so I think about that, just my own identity in general. I think about also getting into the, I want to say the maybe less educated or the low income Blacks versus the wealthier or the bougie Blacks. I do think that as I've climb the ladder and education, there tends to be this sort of, I want to say silent, I don't even know what to call it. Just the silent understanding that, oh, the educated Blacks were somehow better than Blacks that don't have an education or that might be in the hood or that might be, you know, faced with a certain adversity right now when that's not true, right? And I think that there are so many systems in place that All right, lady, it's about that time. Dom and I want to share a few sponsors with you that we believe you'd enjoy. So stay tuned, get those promo codes, and we'll hop right back into this informative conversation. Lady, as you know, this month is Women's History Month, and it's a great opportunity to highlight the stories of Black women specifically. Black representation holds significant importance in conveying possibilities to everyone not just those of us in the Black community. I can recall growing up watching Oprah Winfrey and the Black newscasters in my hometown of New Orleans. And it showed me the importance of sharing my own stories and using my own voice. Well, the next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's latest collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today told from a unique Black perspective. From Tracy Ellis Ross to Beyonce's Renaissance, Michelle Obama to the women behind the Montgomery bus boycott, 
there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. What I love most about Black stories, Black truths is the fact that the stories are from us and they cover topics we want to hear. I recently listened to an episode called Tracy Ellis Ross is an Icon and Our Favorite Rich Auntie. And it was just such a breath of fresh air to hear her perspective on her new projects, what she loves most about podcasts, and how she feels about being called the rich black auntie. It was good. Now, you know, black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be told about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Would have us to hit us against one another. Lady, if you haven't heard of the Willie Lynch speech or the Willie Lynch syndrome, whether or not Willie Lynch was a real person, the shit that's in that damn speech is real shit. It talks about colorism and really how to maintain and control slaves by way of separating and pointing out these little differences that make us begin to question, are we really the same? even though we may look the same, right? So I say all that to just say that it runs deep, Dom. Yes, I've definitely been socialized. I am also aware that we each have our own journeys when it comes to our journey of consciousness, right? And how we identify as Black people. We're all different and we all have different experiences that contributes to what we believe. And that makes me want to read a quote from France Fanon from his book, Black Skin, White Mask. Fanon says, and he was a psychiatrist, he says, all colonized people, in other words, people in whom an inferiority complex has taken root, whose local culture originality has been committed to the grave, position themselves in relation to the civilizing language, i.e. the metropolitan culture. The more the colonized has assimilated, the cultural values of the metropolis, the more they will have escaped the bush. The more he rejects his blackness in the bush, the wider he will become. So again, you know, that's about the idea of colonization, all colonized people. So no matter what part of the world you are in, if you are in a place that has been colonized, then you are in a place where part of the indoctrination, part of what it means to assimilate means that you buy into the colonizer's culture. You kind of have to, right? In order to climb the corporate ladder, right? In order to be successful, 
because most white people run the systems and institutions that we're part of, right? So it's right. like, how do we make white people comfortable? So I guess, Don, before we dive into this next topic around like, how does this quote play out in everyday life? One thing that came up for me was like, damn, so are we coons and sambos? And again, I'm using the definition just for clarity's sake, right? We, we know what it means, right? So are we acting in those ways? Are we being a caricature of the coon and the sambo when we are climbing the corporate ladder, right? Because one of the other things that France says in his book is like, he says the black man possesses two dimensions, one with his fellow blacks, the other with his whites. And a lot of that is because of colonization. So because we play the game, see, I don't know. It's tricky. Here's the thing. It's about survival, right? Yeah. So I think what it is in terms of our survival, it's about figuring out how to play the game so that we can live, right, without denying our humanity. And part of not denying our humanity, to me, means recognizing how we've been indoctrinated and identifying ways in which we can still be truly connected to our heritage, to our roots, to our history, to who we are as a people in positive ways. And also recognizing for all of us that it's a journey, that it's, we're all on different spectrums. Because again, who I am right now, how I relate to my blackness now was not the same 20, 30 years ago. I definitely in this moment feel way more connected to my blackness. I get that it's also, we have to put it in a historical context, that if we think about the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, that's post-civil rights era, right? So the assumption at that time was that we're in a post-racial America, right? That we're not necessarily having to fight for who we are. We kind of just, we just know who we are. And we don't have to be out there proclaiming that, that we're black. We just know that we're black. And really, we don't need to claim that we're black. We just need to focus on uniting America. Can we all be just Americans, right? And so if that's the space, the context in which a lot of us may have grown up in through that generation, then to me, it also kind of makes sense why we may not have been as connected to fighting for our blackness as someone who is a child of the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And so then fast forward to where we are now in what I would venture to say is a post-Obama America where our blackness appears to be even more under attack than it's been in decades, then it becomes a fight for our blackness, a fight for our identity. And so even if we may have known that we were black, now we're in a space where we are going to speak up on it, where we have to speak up on it. Yes, the stakes are so high right now. And it's so in our face that it's just, it's hard to ignore, even for people that have ignored it. And when you think about 
just the quote of, you know, all my skin folk and kin folk and how that plays out today. It just makes me think about what we see going on in the world right now, right? Where there are Black people that are in spaces of leadership. And when you sit back and you just watch their moves, you're just like, mm, do you really have the best interest of our community in mind, right? Like, are you misleading Black people? Are you trying to protect Black people? It's just, it makes you ask those questions. And I think about Daniel Cameron, right? I'm going to just pass the mic over to you right now because I know that you have some strong feelings. I mean, I think many of us have strong feelings about him, but that's someone in particular, you know, the attorney general of Kentucky. And we think about the way that he's handled the Breonna Taylor murder and the lack of accountability. And it's just like, okay, I'm sure that people in Kentucky at one point, and my thing about this is like, it's not about what party you're, you're voting, right? Like, no, we're, we're not getting into your political life, but when you see a black person I think oftentimes, Don, many of us were in a state of, oh, this Black person, they're doing something great. They look like me. Let's vote for them. Let's support them. But I think now more than ever, we need to question, what is this person standing for? What is this person doing for our community, right? Are they doing things for other communities and excluding the Black community? Do they even like Black people? Like, I think we need to begin to question that because, again, all skin folk ain't kin folk. Everyone that's Black does not support Black people. And sometimes they do things to undermine our community. Sometimes they are agents. Sometimes they are white supremacist collaborators. And it's important for us more than ever to support people who have our best interest at heart, even if those people happen to not be black people. Because at the end of the day, what is the goal? Is the goal to have a black face and a high place that does nothing for black people? Or is it to have an ally or someone in a high place that's doing something that's going to benefit our community, right? Are we getting resources? Are we getting laws that's, that are going to protect a Black woman who's in her home, minding her business, who gets shot down, Call of Duty style, and the officers have no accountability? You know what I mean? Right. Like, what, what is the goal for us? The goal for us is unity, right? Because we cannot truly conquer this white inferiority complex if we do not have unity. And we're not going to have unity until, until we truly are focused on the same thing, right? Until we all have the same goal. And to me, I don't believe that certain Black folks that we see in prominent positions are united with us, right? So I think about Daniel Cameron, right? Hell, I even think about Jerome Adams. Men like that, and then our homegirl, let me not call her my homegirl. Let me back up off of that. Because again, she ain't can vote. Candace Owens. For me, those are folks who I truly am curious to how are they really thinking? What is their ulterior motive? She consistently condemns Black people and tries to not align herself with anything being Black, anything about Blackness. Daniel Cameron, who refuses to publicly 
acknowledge the murder of Breonna Taylor, right? Refuses to call it a murder, refuses to give her justice. And right. And then, you know, Jerome Adams, who initially put out videos blaming black folks for contracting COVID when he knows full well the systematic issues that are at play in the current administration that he is a part of that contributes to the lack of help and resources that we receive. People like that are not our kinfolk and they will not be our kinfolk. They will continue to want to dissociate themselves from us, right? Because again, my assumption, based on what we know about this path to whiteness, my assumption is that for them, in order to be more closely aligned and accepted by white folks, they have to disassociate themselves from anything being black, with being black, right? And those are the type of people that we do not need. You know, you use the term agent, and I think about what it means to infiltrate an organization, right? And sometimes I do wonder if there are Black folks who are infiltrating white spaces to truly learn about how some of the most racist white folks think. Mm -hmm. To help move us forward, right? Because to truly move forward, to truly win a war, you have to know how your enemy thinks. Spot on. Now that makes me think of the Black Klansmen. Yes. There are some Black people who have done that over the years, right? You go into Ron Stallworth, you go into those spaces, you get the game, you get the information, and then you share it with your community so that we can advance and understand just how sick this system is. And based on what you've said, Donna, I know we've talked about this before, and I've definitely been conflicted. Like, damn, should we call out Black people that don't mean us any good at this point in the journey? And again, we may evolve and come to a different place in this conversation. But I mean, I, I just don't understand how we can sit quietly when the stakes are so high. Like when you understand, I would definitely encourage you, lady, if you have the mental bandwidth and you know your mental health to support it enough to look into Breonna Taylor's case. I mean, just look at the details. And it's so sickening. Like, there's no way that we can support a black person that's going to try to get these officers off for killing an innocent black woman. Like, that is unacceptable. You know, and I think the buck stops here when you think about who we're willing to support just because of the commonality of the color of our skin, right? If that's the only commonality that we have. And so, there are a few questions that Dom and I want to dive into. We don't have all the answers because we're just like you. We're trying to figure this thing out as well. And it's definitely a sensitive topic. But I guess the first question would be, what do we do about the other Black folk that aren't for us? And when I think about that, the thing that comes to mind for me, the first thing is like, okay, I'm trying to exercise my emotional intelligence and also being a very curious person. I want to lean into curiosity. Like, I would love to just chat with this person and have an understanding. Like, what makes this person go out and do things that are against the Black community, right? So whether it's self-hate, whether it's just, yo, I don't fuck with black people, whether it's I just really like white people and they just want to fit into one of those caricatures that we talked about earlier. I want understanding and I may not ever understand it, but I just want to get like, how do you do that? 
You know, I think about when there was just a report or an audio from Donald Trump that was released stating that he knew the extent and how damaging COVID-19 could be for the world back in, I think they said January or February. And this just came out like last month. And so he went on television and he continuously stated something that he didn't believe and something that he knew wasn't true. And I think about people who do things like that. And I'm just like, I don't get it. Because like you said, you need to know your enemy and know their game plan in order to fight against them. So I think that's the first thing for me. I think number two, if you really care about someone and you're like, yo, this person is not for black people, you can definitely try to educate them. But sometimes you have to leave people where they are. And if someone is dedicated to living a life where they are trying to uphold white supremacy, even as a black person, I personally would withdraw my support from that person. Because at the end of the day, we have two very different views. And again, I'm going to say this again, the stakes are so high, like black lives are at stake. Are on the, yes. Yes. Are on the line here. And so when it's something this serious, this isn't a matter of like, which ice cream do you like? Oh, we like different ice creams. We can still be friends. No. If I'm trying to fight to uplift and support black people and we're being murdered out in the streets and, you know, we have so much against us as a community and you're willing to tell lies, you're willing to promote hate. We just, we can't do this. You know what I mean? So those are the things that come to mind for me, Dom, for question number one. Yeah, all of it. I think part of that is knowing your capacity, right? So if we know that we don't have it in us, right? We're not in that space. Because I hear you on the what you said about like being curious and wanting to kind of lean into that. But I also know that depending on what type of work you do, you may not have. And I say work, but I also think about just what you may be encountering or engaging in in your personal life. You may not have the capacity to necessarily lean into curiosity and understanding. And that's okay too. So I think it's about in terms of answering that particular question, the the way I think about it is understanding what your own capacity is in terms of interacting with those people who clearly aren't for us. So if it means that you're not in a space to engage them, then know that that's okay. But I think the key is really just knowing where you are, knowing what your capacity is so then you can determine how you can or can't engage skinfolk that ain't our kinfolk. That sounds good to me, Dom. And so then when we think about question number two of, well, how can us real ones out there, (laughs) how can we, how can we unite? And I don't know if I necessarily have an answer for that, right? Because, you know, even earlier as I was talking about, like, we really need a united front, I truly don't have an answer on how to do that. I think I recognize that each of us has our own role to play in this. And like we've mentioned in multiple episodes, some of us are meant to be on the front lines. Some of us are meant to be behind the scenes and some of us are just somewhere in the middle. And some of us are even sitting back in the audience, just watching. 
And so maybe that may be part of how we unite, right? Is everybody being clear on what their role is and what is the responsibility or expectations of being in that role? I don't know. What do you think? I'm with you, Donna. It makes me think about, well, one, let me just say for many of us, we don't really have, and I hate to say this because I feel like it comes from a place of like hopelessness, but I promise you I'm hopeful. But at the same time, I'm also very mindful that many of us, we don't have the, I want to say luxury to sit around and think about, okay, how can we build for our community? When we're moving from tragedy to tragedy, we still have to maintain our livelihood. Like it's exhausting to try to be at war when one, you don't want to be at war. I just want to, I just want to live my best life. Like if this were up to me, I would just be living my best life, working, doing the things that I love and boom, I'd be at peace. But this is the skin color that I've come into this world into and we are being attacked on so many fronts. And so I feel like I have an obligation to do something for the community. And lady, if you're feeling that same way, we did a really good episode, season six, episode 10 called Dear Black People, This Will Not Be Our Undoing. And this is where we introduced how we fight the Black plight. And plight was an acronym for different potential roles that people could play. I mean, personally, Dom, I think I just want to do more reading and studying to figure out like, how can we get on the same page? Other communities do it, right? So we can do it too. And the plight just is an acronym for you have political workers, you have light workers, you have investors and funders, you have grid protectors, hawks, and then you have teachers and researchers. And we walk through what each of those were. But it makes me think about the book Powernomics by Dr. Claude Anderson. And he talks about just stabilizing Black Americans as far as our economic base and just building our own communities. And so that's a good book that I have back here in my library that. I haven't really had the time to really dive into in a strategic way. And so I guess for me, Don, one of the biggest things that I am really proud of and one thing that helps me with my mental health, but then also makes me feel as though I'm doing something for our community is the podcast. I think just being a light in the world at this stage in my life, that is what I can do. And so uplifting our community, showing us love, you know doing good by us and shit, just focusing on my mental health. I feel like those are the things that I can do at this point in life. But one day I do hope to do more, you know, once I have the bandwidth and the capacity to do that. But right now, boom, that's what it looks like for me. But you don't have to push to do more because what you're doing right now is enough. But I think that's the thing of like how we get, and this is the topic for a whole nother day, of how we get pulled into it, right? Of thinking that we have to constantly be working and doing more. This podcast is a lot, right? And I mean that in the sense that we are making a significant contribution and it's a labor of love. And if literally this is the only thing that you ever do for the rest of your life, right? Like literally the only thing, and we know that's not the reality, but literally, even if that, like, let's say that that was the reality, right? that your only contribution to humanity is this podcast, that is enough. And so I think in terms of how we figure out what our role is, right? It starts with knowing that what we do, what we are contributing to our community is enough. If you are doing anything to uplift the community, that's enough. 
And so to kind of wrap this all up, right? Going back to our title of like how all skin folk ain't kin folk, and what do we really do about that, right? I think history has kind of shown us that this continues and it'll show up in various forms. And so I don't know if we're going to ever find a solution to it, but I do think that it's important for those of us who truly are kinfolk to know our role and to know what it means for us as an individual to be black, right? Recognizing that it's a social construct, but also identifying for ourselves, what does that mean to us? And then holding people accountable, people in positions of power, holding them accountable for uplifting and contributing to us if they are saying that they align with being Black. And so, lady, we're going to leave you with these questions, again, that we do not have the answers to, but just to kind of circle back on the questions that you can ponder, if you want to share with us in the comment section of our post, because again, this is something that we're going to do as well. What do we do about the other Black folk that aren't for us, right? That's a legit question. What do we do? And then how can the real Black people, right, the real ones that are kinfolk, how can we unite? Like Dom said, if being Black is a social construct, some Black people don't identify with being Black, right? How do we support our community and what do we call ourselves, right? And then last but not least, how do we hold Black officials and celebrities accountable? Hey, lady, it's Terry here from the Herspace podcast, and I have a question for you. Do you want to start your own podcast? Have you been thinking to yourself, you know what? I want to start a podcast, but you just haven't taken the leap. If that's you, I got you. I'm hosting a free podcasting masterclass where I'm going to teach you how to create your own podcast from start to finish. So visit terrylomax.com and click on the pink link in the middle of your screen and register for my free podcasting masterclass. Today's episode is sure to provide you with motivation, inspiration, or even a fresh perspective. If you have any aha moments or if you feel comforted throughout the episode, lady, please leave us a review and tell us what we're doing right so we can stay on track. Also, we release episodes every Friday, so be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit herspacepodcast.com and enter your email address to get updates about our live events and all of the new beginnings that we have for this year. Thanks for joining us today in Herspace. Please note that our show may contain conversations about self-help, advice, self-empowerment, and mental health. But it is by no means meant to be a substitute for an ongoing formal relationship with a trained mental health provider. If you or someone you know is in need of mental health care, please visit the Therapy for Black Girls directory, Psychology Today, or contact your insurance provider. If you liked what you heard and want to keep the conversation going, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HerSpacePodcast or check out our website at herspacepodcast.com. And before we meet again, repeat after me. Although my plans may change, I will stay committed to my purpose. We'll see you next week, lady. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, 
Sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.